0: But, uh, you know, I'm excited to uh, continue our passion series, and I want to talk about uh, something that actually can hurt our passion, because passion usually is connected to love in some way, that love kind of fuels it and supports it, maintains it, and so anything that affects our love or misaligns our love ultimately can affect our passion. And I believe that is the issue of insecurity. And so we're going to look at that, we're going to examine, so you can turn your book to Genesis. We're going to do a lot of reading there, but we do have a few other passages that we're going to look at. But to help us understand why this is an important topic, I want to first address that I am not speaking to single disciples. I'm speaking to disciples who are presently single. I'm not speaking to married disciples. I'm speaking to disciples who are presently married. I'm not speaking to male disciples. I'm speaking to disciples who are male. I'm not an American disciple. I'm a disciple who's American. In fact, I'm not blank disciple, but a disciple who is blank. And why is that so important? Because too often we find our identity in the blank rather than being a disciple of Jesus. That we should not let our identity and our love for self have anything to do with any of the blanks. It should have all to do with who we are in Jesus. Not our race, not our culture, not our economic status, not our language or slang, not our gender or our marital status. Our identity should be in Jesus and we should be secure in who we are in God. But one of the greatest threats to that I believe, is insecurity. You know, I had the opportunity this uh, week to see a documentary movie entitled Free Solo. This is not a Star Wars movie. Okay? Uh, Just so you know. It's actually about an extraordinary climber that climbs without any ropes or safety gear. And this movie documents, the name is Alex Honnold, a 3,200-foot climb up the granite wall of Al Capitan in Yosemite. Here's a picture of him doing it. 3,200 meters, no ropes, no safety gear, one mistake, dead. I was wiggling in my seat and everyone else in the audience as we're watching this movie. Now there is some language in there, it's a documentary, so I do want to warn parents about that, but Intense. But it was amazing because they really showed how he made a couple different attempts and pulled out. And a lot of it was due to insecurity, either of himself or others' feelings about him doing this. And how he had to wrestle through it and just be confident in who he is and not let any of that bother him. And so I'm not going to tell you what happens in the end, but you probably know. Okay, I'll tell you. He made it. But what that shows me is to do something like that, if he allowed any moment of insecurity, he would have fallen to his death. That's how much of a threat insecurity was for him and what he was trying to do. But I thought about, what about us spiritually? As we're trying to climb... What insecurity could only even affect us to fall to our spiritual debts? You know, I look at this proverb in 1922. You may have seen this before. It says, What a person desires is unfailing love. Now notice it didn't say a believing person. It just says a person. Now the Hebrew word there is hesed. Here's the, the word, hesed. Which means... A love that is unfailing, that is loyal. It's devotion. Now, this is what the Bible says a person desires. You might have to realize you've got to accept something that may be hard to hear. You will never find that love with another person. Because can any human being truly love like Hesed, like God? No. And that's where insecurity gets us. We're trying to find this unfailing love in all the wrong places. Whether it's self, whether it's our career, whether it's wealth, whether it's a relationship. And none of them can be unfailing. It can only be in God. So what does that mean about everyone else? Well, that's why we're given this very special command in Mark chapter 12. It says, One of the teachers the law came and heard them debating... Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? He's asking about the number one most important command. Not the greatest, the most important. Is he asking for one or two? One. One. Here's where we're going to see that God's arithmetic is different than ours. Just accept that. Jesus is going to answer with two as one. That's just, I I can't explain it. We could spend all day, all year, trying to figure out God's arithmetic, but just accept God's math is different than ours and be thankful for that. But how does he answer? The most important one answered Jesus is is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And Jesus is actually quoting Deuteronomy But if you go to Deuteronomy, there's only three mentioned. Jesus adds with all your mind. I think something's happened between the old and the new that a lot of what affects us understanding loving God and ultimately, I believe, loving others and ourselves can be affected by how we think. So Jesus is connecting that our thoughts affect our love. And this is super important because if you look at society today, we have a lot of wrong thoughts coming into our brains about God, about ourselves, and about others. And that all loads more and more insecurity that can destroy our passion for God and for others. The second is this. Love your neighbor with all your heart, soul... No, it doesn't say that, does it? Notice that to love with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is reserved only for God. I just thought I'd clarify that. Because to do that, it has to be unfailing. (laughs) And we fail. But it goes on, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment, singular, greater than these, plural. See, that's where the arithmetic doesn't make sense. But we're going to accept it because it's God. So what's what's important about these commands or command? Well, the first command, you have a question. What? What's the command? And then how? And then the second command he includes is also what and how? But did you see the differences? What's the answer to what on the first command? What's the command? Love God. How do we do that? with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second command, what is it we're commanded? Love your neighbor. How? As As yourself. I think that is the part of the command that is the most neglected in today's society, and I believe even in the church. Now, I'm not talking about selfless love. There's plenty of that around. I'm talking about loving... Self, it's very different. And if we can't actually love ourself, then can we actually obey either of these commands? Hello? Say it. If I don't properly love self, can I love my neighbor? No, because that's the method of how you love. And if I can't love my neighbor who I see, we know from other commands, if I can't love those who I see, can I love the one I can't see? No. So how important is it to get the proper love of self, do you think, as disciples of Jesus? Very important. Your self-giving is going to ultimately be proportional to your self-loving. I know that seems radically different than what we're called. No, we just deny ourselves. Deny your sinful self, yes. But don't deny self of who you are created to be in God. This is where the threat of insecurity is at an all-time high. Because insecurity can force us, lead us, to actually not love self. Which ultimately means we can't love our neighbor. Which ultimately means we can't love God. Which means, where is the power of our passion? Insecurity will rob us ultimately of the passion God wants us to have. See, the the focus is to love your neighbor as. That's the key. So, how do we do that? See, if we don't deal with insecurity, then we'll come up with all kinds of self defense mechanisms that actually make us have selfish love. It actually does the opposite. And we can put ourselves away from others. The more you isolate yourself, there's no need for passion. Passion is something that's meant to be given. It's infectious. There's a goal to it. So insecurity can ultimately rob us of that. So how do we deal with this? Well, I thought one of the best ways is let's learn from someone else. Let's look at someone's journey in dealing with the threat of insecurity. How that insecurity robbed himself of love of self and ultimately passion for God. But how God slowly helped him to remove that threat and begin to love himself as God meant him to be. I want us to turn to Genesis chapter 25, and we're going to look at the life of Jacob. Give you a little background Isaac's wife was childless. So he prayed to God, and God answered. When Rebecca questioned why the two babies were fighting within her, God answered her. We see this in verse 23. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in a room. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was six years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. Did you see it? Did you catch the beginning of insecurity in Jacob's life? It wasn't about being the younger son, for that was only a matter of minutes. They were twins. It was that he... Was second. No one strives to be second. Why? Well, there are some reasons I came up with, and I can relate to. As a former runner, I never wanted to be second. I'd rather be tenth than second. And I go, well, "Why? You, you did better." Well, here's why: second is the first to lose. <laughs> Just saying. Second means you're not the winner. Second means you get lost in the story of history. Second means you don't get what the first gets. Second. Ugh, just sounds terrible in my breath. No one likes to be second. See, even at birth, Jacob tried to prevent this. Get back here, Esau. Get back here. I'm going to be first. Because sometimes we think, our confidence and our security of who we are is about being first, and that has nothing to do with it, because if they had only listened to what God had said, He said, the older will serve the younger. If he just trusted God's design, he would have been fine. But see, we try to take God's design into our own hands sometimes. We don't realize that we're actually beginning the road of insecurity. The family legacy would not be his. He was second. He wasn't going to be content with second. Something inside him longed for freedom of the pain of being second. And he would be willing to do anything to medicate that pain. It would eventually affect his entire life and the lives of those around him, including Esau and his family. You know, Eventually we would see Esau give up his birthright for some stew. You know, I think, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, for one, it just showed that this entire time, Jacob wanted to be Esau. He studied Esau. He, he examined Esau. He learned his weaknesses and his strengths. And when he saw the opportunity, he manipulated the situation to become what Esau had. And yet, in this, he hated Esau. And yet, the very thing he hated is what he wanted to become. And so later, the story continues... After he learned his habits, he understood that Esau was an impulsive man and a hairy man. See, insecurity can cause us to use manipulation to try to find security even when it's a false one. Now as you move on to Genesis 27, I'm going to summarize for sake of time, verse 1 through 30. Isaac was older and he could no longer see. He called for his son Esau, the one that deserved the birthright as the firstborn. He asks him to hunt for some wild game and prepare some food for him. He wants to give Esau his blessing before he dies. But guess who steps in? Rebecca. Mom steps in. Jacob wasn't fighting her, though. And they deceive Isaac. How? He had to be like Esau. He had to be other than himself. See, that's what insecurity does, is it causes us to be who we really aren't. And when, you, when you're trying to be something you are not, how can you actually love yourself if you're not yourself? You can't. It's going to destroy your love for others and for God, and ultimately, where is your passion going to come from? It's going to be a false passion. It's going to go after the wrong goals than what God designed you to be. You know, in reality, this is the first identity theft recorded in history. <laughs> Maybe there were others, but this is the only one I know recorded. And what really sticks out from that entire passage is simply this one question and one answer. What's the question? Who are you? Jacob answers I am Esau, your firstborn. That's what insecurity does you become something you were never designed by God to be. And now you've got to uphold that lie. It becomes very lonely. There are consequences to insecurity. There are levels of insecurity that we allow to affect us, but they're all a threat to our love of self, love of others, and the love of God. You know, something bigger is going on here. I mean, before this story of him impersonating Esau, were only introduced in the Scriptures of Jacob two times, and both of them have to do with him not wanting the life he's been given, but wanting Esau's life. This is how insecurity sabotages not only our relationships, but ultimately the right kind of self-love, loving ourselves To find security he so desperately had to lose who he was to become the very thing he hated. Which begs the question, does he now need to hate himself? So we can see that cycle of insecurity where that can lead us. We have a world that's full of people that hate themselves and they shouldn't. Yes, there may be things we're ashamed of, things we regret, but they should never define us. Because we have an answer in Jesus. We have a healer and a a Savior that can help us to find who we are meant to be. To change our thinking, that's what repentance is. It's a change of mind. Love God with all your mind. If we don't get that on straight, if we don't deal with insecurity, it will affect everything in our lives. If you no longer love yourself because you're no longer yourself, Where do you go? It's a downward cycle. And we see that this had consequences. I mean, was it Esau's fault? Was he the antagonist in the story that deserved to be humbled? Esau was just Esau. You are who you are. But it's amazing how insecurity can get all all of us to be something other than we are. And then that affects everything. See, when you're focused on selfish love, allowing insecurity to guide your path, then insecurity causes us to compare, to blame, and to demand fairness. Which, I'm sorry to say, is not going to happen. All of these prevent us from truly loving ourselves and others and it has its consequences. Genesis 27:41. Esau would return only to find out that he was too late for the blessing. It says Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. The sad thing is Jacob already killed himself. His identity. He's no longer Jacob. He's Esau. See, when we allow insecurity to reign, we ultimately are killing ourselves. And if there's no self left, how do you love self in order to love others? You can't. It's a huge threat to who God wants us to be and the passion that He wants us to have in our lives. So he would flee. He would eventually go to his mom's family to find a wife. And, of course, you know the story that a lot of things happened there. Uh, The deceiver ends up being deceived. Things happen like that. When you don't go with God's plan, your own life comes back on you. But you know what's amazing is, though it took a while, on his journey, fleeing from being Jacob, trying to become Esau, God is slowly working on Jacob. And throughout his journey, there's four altars, four moments that really signified this journey. I want to talk about the first one. The altar... Of if, then. See, as Jacob fled from his brother, he stops in a certain place for the night. And he has a vision of this stairway reaching to heaven, and angels of God coming up and down. The Lord reiterates his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and now includes Jacob. Let's see what happens here in verse 18 of chapter 28. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And the stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and all that you give me I will give you a tenth. What's amazing is this altar seems to be more about Jacob than about God. In fact, it's almost like the promise is only his and he's not realizing you're just in a lineage of a promise that originally was with your grandfather Abraham and your father Isaac and now you're just a part of that. But because you aren't recognizing that you're in that legacy, because you're not recognizing who you are yourself, you're missing out. You're trying to create your own, your own idol. Your own altar. And so he creates the if-then altar. We all know the if-then statement, right? If this, then that. Haven't we done the similar? God, if you do blank, then I will never do blank again. (laughs) Okay, maybe you did it this way. God, if you do, then I will do blank. So, you can do it either way. Anyone here ever do that altar? See, you're honest. I appreciate that. I absolutely have had that altar. But it's conditional. If we truly are who we are meant to be and we trust in God, shouldn't it just be God, I'm going to do. And if you happen to bless me or not, I'm just going to trust you. But see, insecurity will always create that if-then altar. Well, if they love me, then I'll trust them. Right? Right? But see, if we don't deal with this insecurity, you're going to have to come up with some more altars to add to your repertoire of altars. So Jacob made his way to his uncle Laban's house. The tables would be turned. He was deceitful, and the younger replaced the older. Laban would be deceitful, and the older would replace the younger. It's kind of a little funny there, God's irony, right? Right? He ends up working seven years to win the hand of what he thought was the younger, got the older. Then he had to work another seven years to get the younger, right? But then, you know, God still did bless him because he did rob the blessing, and God is true to his blessing. Doesn't mean it was right, but he gets blessed, and his his possessions grow, and it begins to cause some conflict with his family and Laban's. And so he eventually has to leave, and that's when we get to the next altar one we've got to be very careful of in our lives, the altar of separation. Genesis 31, verse 45. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. He said to his relatives, Gather some stones. So they took stones and piled them in a heap. And they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jehar Sarhudutha, and Jacob called it Galid. Then in verse 51, Laban also said to Jacob, Here is this heap, and here is this pillar I have set up between you and me. This heap is a witness, and this pillar is a witness, that I will not go go past this heap to your side to harm you, and you will not go past this heap and pillar to my side to harm me. See, the insecurities eventually led to separation between Jacob and his family, his wife's families. See, I think sometimes, guys, we too build an altar that simply means we agree to disagree, There's no reconciliation, but a pledge to do no more harm. And in reality, you won't do any more harm. But you also won't have any relationships. And the whole point of loving ourselves was so that we could love our neighbor. But when we do a wall of separation because of insecurity, now we're locked in it. We're isolated. We're separated. And I know many of us, our insecurities are driven by hurt by our parents, by loved ones. And that insecurity then breeds and grows stronger and then we're afraid and fearful to even give another person a chance even though they're not the same person. So we put up this of separation. Hey, no, I'm not going to harm you and you're not going to harm me. Everything's good, but you have no relationships. And that will hurt you in the end. I think the same could happen with God. God... I'm not going to let you harm me anymore. I'm not going to harm you. I'm still going to praise you. But this is it. Maybe there's no harm going on or perceived, but you don't have a relationship anymore. This is what insecurity does. Are you building an altar of separation? But the journey continues. As he flees Laban and he heads back home, we come to the altar of struggle, which we all will face, by the way. Genesis 32, verse 1. Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. Do you see how many times the angels of God comes to meet Jacob? God's saying, like, would you stop running? You keep running somewhere. Here's the problem about running away. You know where you're leaving, but you don't ever actually know where you're going. Did you ever notice that? Did you ever run away as a little kid? I did that. I remember I was real little. I got a little suitcase. I think I put one thing of underwear and maybe like a Pop-Tart or something. And I stormed off and my parents let me go. And I went around the corner and I sat down behind a bench because I had no other plan outside of that. I had no idea where I was going. I was stubborn. I was there for like three, four hours, I think my mom said. I was stubborn. But eventually, that's the problem when we run away, guys. You're actually running anywhere. You have no idea where you're going. And the angels just keep coming to Jacob and saying, like, stop trying to be Esau. Be Jacob. And they come to him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanaim. Now, what's so unique about that name, Mahanaim, is that name actually means two camps. In other words, Jacob's going, that's God's camp but this is my camp. I got it. I stole it from Esau. I got the blessing through deception. I went and had to work 14 years. This is my camp. We have a choice. There's going to be a struggle. God wants your camp. And we should want His camp. So there's going to be a struggle. But what's amazing is, Something happens. Jacob builds another altar after this struggle. And he no longer inserts an if-then clause. Absent from this encounter, as we'll see, is there doesn't seem to be insecurity anymore. But rather humility. What happened? Struggle. See, too often, guys, we avoid conflict, we avoid struggle... Because of insecurity, it's the struggle itself that can help us to deal with the insecurity. Because we struggle with God. We struggle with others. By avoiding and letting insecurity isolate ourselves, we're trapped for good. God wouldn't let that happen. He kept going after them. And we need to go after one another to help us struggle to find out who we are in God. Verse 3 of chapter 32 of Genesis. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed him, This is what you are to say to my master Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, men servants and maid servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I might find favor in your eyes. Did you notice who he's sending it to? Yes, to his brother But you notice how he addressed him, My Lord, my Master. All the things he had stole through the blessing, he's actually giving back to Esau. What was his camp, he's now giving up. See, Jacob is actually displaying humility rather than insecurity. Now, we must remember that he said these words even before he knew whether Esau was alive or still angry with him. Now, he eventually gets the report that Esau is coming to meet him with 400 men. And he, of course, had the appropriate response because who brings 400 men to say hello? Okay? It's like, what, you bringing how many to say hello? What? He was fearful for his life. It's like, uh uh-oh. But rather than going back to the other altars, he continues to struggle. He realizes, I just need to go to God for protection. He prays, and Jacob is humbled before God, and he begs for God's protection. He's not trying to take things in his own hands anymore. He ends up putting everything, his camp, in God's hands. And he sends his camp away from himself. Everything I tried to be because of my insecurity, everything I gain, I'm going to give that back to Esau. So now it's just me and God's camp. Let's see what happens. Verse 22. That night Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two maidservants and the 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he'd sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. The struggle wasn't just wrestling with the man. It was wrestling with the competing camps. His and God's. In the beginning, he called it two camps. But guess where we're at right now? There's only one. He sends his camp away. And all that remains is Jacob and God's camp. He's alone to wrestle with God, to find who he is, and not who he is through insecurity trying to be. Let's read verse 25. When the man saw that, God, that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip. So his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, Remember how we started? Who are you? The answer? I am Esau, your firstborn. Now look where we're at. What is your name? Jacob, he answered. He's finally himself. He finally has accepted and loved just who he is. Now look what God does, because God did not do it before that. And he could have, because he sent angels many times on this journey. But now as he's finally just accepted and loved who he is in God, as God designed him to be, I am Jacob. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob. Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men, and how you have overcome. I could not make you Israel while you've kept trying to be Esau. What name is God waiting to give us if we learn to love ourselves? That's kind of a cool thought. But are we trying to be ourselves? Good, bad, and ugly. See, it's it's amazing when you actually do learn to love yourself, the good, bad, and the ugly, you actually do love others the same way. Because you appreciate their strengths that you don't have. Because you know who you are. Yeah, that's not my strength. But man, you have that strength. I really appreciate that in you. And we don't compare anymore like, well, I'm going to be... It's like, hey, this who I am? Man, you are special too. This is who God made you to be. Man, together, we could be stronger. See, when we actually love self... God can make us even greater. Now you understand, Jacob. Now I call you Israel. He could not call him Israel while he was still being Esau. Because from the very beginning, what did God say? The older will serve the younger. But while he was still trying to be the older, the older could never serve him. Not until he accepted who he was. He struggled with God. Which leads to the final altar, Genesis thirty-two thirty, the altar of God. So Jacob called that place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Jacob left this altar knowing who was in control, and it was not himself. He had given up his camp, and he had accepted God's camp. He had saw God face to face and lived. He now trusted in God for his blessings rather than trying to rely on his own strength and insecurity driving him to manipulate to get it. You know, in the end, Jacob is not only spared by Esau, but is actually greeted by him. See, so often, guys, our insecurities make us think how people are going to treat us, and they may never treat us as you feared. But you'll never know. Until you love yourself and take the risk. They might still mistreat you. But be confident in who you are. Don't let how they treat you or not treat you define you. Love yourself for who God called you to be. As we prepare our hearts for communion, I want to ask you, what altars are you building? Are you building the altar of if-then? Hey God, if this, then that. Are you building an altar of separation, whether it's with him or someone in this room or a family member? Are you willing to go to the altar of struggle and and wrestle to find who you are in God so that you ultimately can build the altar of God? Guys, just like Jacob, we're on a journey to overcome our insecurities. Let's build the right altar. Let's strive to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And let's learn to love our neighbor, but the only way we're going to accomplish that is if we can learn to love ourselves for who God creates to be. That in turn will fuel our passion in the right way. Jesus, His passion was fueled by His identity in the Father. He never let it stray. He faced struggles, he faced challenges, persecution. But Jesus was so confident of who he was in God that even when God asked him to go to the cross, he trusted it. And it's only because of Jesus dying on the cross for us, we're given an opportunity to be who we were meant to be. Guys, let's, as we take the cup and the bread, let's bring those insecurities to the cross and let it be crucified there. Let whatever we're trying to be that we're not meant to be, just die. And let us come back from that cross, for Jesus did not stay there. He raised again. Let us raise and be who we were meant to be. Because I believe if we love ourselves properly, we can love our neighbor, we can love God, and our passion will thrive. Let us go to God in prayer.